Live from our studios in Liberty, New York, this is Radio Catskills Local Edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. We have a bit of breaking news. The holiday uh, cannabis market and fundraiser that was coming up in Kingston is not happening now. But we're going to have the some of the organizers of the event live on the phone in the second half of the show. We'll be checking in with Small Pharma find out about what they are, what the holiday market would have been, and why is it now not happening. But first up, we've got Spotlight PA, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom based in Harrisburg, aiming to keep those in power accountable in Pennsylvania through independent investigative journalism. They've been covering the Commonwealth's budget woes, where the House, controlled by Democrats and the Senate, controlled by Republicans, are in a months-long deadlock. It's holding up funding for some folks in Pennsylvania, and as lawmakers are seeking a a solution, as they seek a solution, they're facing a new ticking clock, and that's looming repairs to the lower chamber's ceiling. The plot twist you may not have seen coming. The article is called, A Leaky Roof is About to Close the PA House for Months. Can the Legislature Finish a budget first spotlight PA capital reporter Stephen Caruso is live with us on the phone right now to talk about it. Stephen, welcome to the local edition. Thank you for having me. Always happy to talk local politics. So uh, here we go with this. Uh, can we start off like what? Can you talk about the nature of the deadlock here? Why are Pennsylvania lawmakers stuck on passing a budget? How long have they been stuck? Yeah, so basically, uh, we're coming up on six months. Uh, Pennsylvania's budget deadline is June 30th. And, you know, we seem to be, at the time, sailing towards some sort of conclusion. But then uh, at the last minute, uh, Senate Republicans threw school vouchers. So this is public money for private schooling, $100 million worth of that, into the budget deal. Um, there's been some chatter that the governor, our governor, Josh Shapiro, agreed to it. He has said he supports vouchers in uh, during his campaign and and as a governor, but that was thrown in and the Republican Senate passed it. But the Democratic House looked at it and said, we can't pass this. Uh, they don't support the policy. Um, and so the governor ended up having to agreeing to veto those numbers, uh, that, that budget line for $100 million to get the budget through the House. But then Republicans in the Senate were naturally kind of mad about that. So we've kind of been stuck in uh, a bit of a holding pattern, at least since August, because in August, everyone kind of had a come to Jesus moment and said, all right, we're going to just sign this budget. We're going to agree on the things we can agree to, which is that Pennsylvania schools should be funded. Our state workers should be paid. A lot of things, uh, you know, people who are on public assistance for uh, Medicaid should should have their health care paid for. But there's about a billion, billion and a half, two billion. The number, exact number is hard to find. That's still in limbo. Um, so this is money that would go to community colleges, libraries, some nonprofits, uh, and also some money for some programs like uh, uh, student teacher stipends, uh, money that would go to Pennsylvania's first ever uh, investment into public legal defense, uh, grants for home repairs. A lot of these are politically important issues, particularly ones for Democrats, but they're all held in limbo because lawmakers just haven't been able to come to a deal over how to pass the language that will say you can spend this money, money that is already set aside for these programs. They're just lacking sort of the final authorization to spend it. 
in governance in general and budgeting in particular, there are all kinds of deadlines. Some of them are a little more real than others. Uh, but this is the first time I feel like I'm hearing, I, you would think a story like this, the clock is ticking because the year is almost over. It's been almost six months, but no, now the clock is ticking because of a leaky roof in the house. Is that the case? Yes. So what's really interesting is, so, I, I mean, th- this is, this itself is complicated, but, but the Pennsylvania Capitol building of the, above the House chamber, uh, there is a leak uh, that sprung actually last December on Christmas Eve. Um, and, and to be clear, I haven't been able to see the leak myself, but the Republicans and Democrats agree there is a leak. Um, this Wait, there, there's, the no, there's no partisan divide on the reality of the leaking roof. Yes, there is no partisan divide that there are repairs <laughs> okay. that are needed. To the Pennsylvania House chamber, uh, I talked to our uh, the, the Republican leader Brian Cutler literally this morning, and I asked him that point blank. He said the leak is real. We know it's there, um, and that's not just leaks to me. That's an actual water leak. Um, but so, but 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 where there is this disagreement is that the the current speaker, a Democrat, Joanne McClinton, has said that um, that will to necessitate repairs and have to close down the chamber for about three months. They and the House won't come back until March uh, to have a voting session. Um, to, to let, you know, repair people come in, fix it, make sure that, and it's a historic chamber. I mean, the building is 120 years old. It's a beautiful chamber. I, you know, I sit in it quite often, chandeliers, uh, stained glass, all of that. Um, but the, uh, the house, the how the problem is basically, can the house meet somewhere else? Uh, house Republicans have said that's a possibility. Other people in the Capitol have said that's a possibility. Um, and so far, McClinton, the speaker who has a who has a singular power to schedule a session, has said she's not going to do that. Um, but a lot of it really comes down to that 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 break will start on at end of this week, um, which is when the House will be done with session. Um, I should add also, House Democrats only have a one-vote majority, so this break is going to coincide very neatly, uh, you know, quite coincidentally. Some would say not so coincidentally. I'll, I'll let your listeners decide, but with a break where a uh, Democratic lawmaker is going to resign, so the chamber will technically be tied 101-101. No one will have a majority, which would rob Democrats of their power potentially. And uh, so th- this break coincides with that. Um, and, you know, like I said, there could be a chance to hold session other places. I think the most important thing that I'm watching for is just can they resolve this budget impasse by Friday? Um, either way, there's definitely more to look into with what they could do at session in March. But I should also just throw out there that um, both the Senate and House have scheduled session. At this point, the, the House actually has scheduled three more voting session days in the Senate, even with that three-month break uh, through winter. Is there any possibility – this is a Friday deadline. Is there any possibility that they will go into the weekend, or is this really like end-of-day Friday, wherever they're at, they stop? I think it's going to be end-of-day Friday. I mean, that is when the lawmaker who's resigning, this guy from outside of Philadelphia, John Galloway, has said he's stepping down to take over a local judgeship. Um, he said December 15th is his last day. As soon as that majority goes away, Democrats get into a much more politically complicated situation. But so far, I'm sitting in the Capitol as we speak, looking at our beautiful rotunda Christmas tree. And, uh, you know, so far the signs are good that they're starting to make progress. Uh, no, no white smoke, per se, but, like, you know, all the signs to me point to people are really talking and there's a chance that they might even be done by Thursday. Yeah, because uh, apart from other political considerations during that uh, three month break and, and the makeup of the House in there, I mean, that that extra delay of three months, what, what would that mean in terms of getting things done and submitting bills to the governor? 
oh, that I mean, that could that that's another three months just gone for legislating. And legislating is all about you know taking your time. If we're being honest, like that's something that everyone in the building likes to talk about. Is that it's meant to be a slow, cumbersome process. We can go back and forth on if that's valid or not, but it does take time. Our constitution in Pennsylvania requires bills that are considered for three separate days, so you can't just pass it all in one day. Three days have to go by, um, you know, and so you know, and then add in if they don't come to an agreement this week on the budgetary materials. I mean, that's a huge problem because community colleges, libraries, nonprofits, the people who have been bearing the burden of not getting state dollars so far, they're starting to say, we're laying off staff, we're taking on debt, we're running through our monetary reserves, and money for a lot of these groups doesn't just come easy. I mean, it's donations or it's foundations or it's the state giving them money. They don't get to build up a big reserve like, you know, a corporation can or a lot of other, you know, for-profit groups can. They're they're relying on the, the charity of neighbors in many cases. So, you know, uh, changes that happen, particularly like for say a library, if they let go of someone, they might not get that person back. Uh, you know, and if they let, if they cut programming, those people might just find a different place to go. You know, do chair yoga or you know check out books or do their Wi-Fi, and then that's less services in the community because they'll have fewer people coming. So it's a real concern uh, for a lot of these groups that are harmed by the lack of funding. So you know, the quicker they can get stuff done, I think the better for a lot of these uh, a lot of communities. And you're touching on something that I was wondering, like these folks uh, who are being impacted, are they starting to complain? Are lawmakers hearing from them? Are they starting to feel the heat from these folks? You know, that's always hard to say. I'd say I think they are. I, you know, there seems to be a lot of determination coming in this week. I mean, I talked to our pres- Senate President Pro Tempore, Kim Ward, a Republican from Westmoreland County, and she told me leading in this week, you know, like, there's a lot of things we have to get done, and we're not going to leave until we're done. I'm paraphrasing quite a bit. But, uh, you know, I, there seems to be this this message of, like, we know we have to come to a deal. The A lot of, you know, folks I'm talking to, I'm sensing some optimism. I'm sensing that everyone's talking. I mean, that's what you want to see. I mean, I can't say for certain that's because enough uh, librarians reached out and told their lawmakers, please vote for this. Like, you know, I'm suffering. But I, I, well, that's kind of how budget impasses get solved. It's eventually the political will to stare down your opponent and tell them that I'm not going to agree to what you want gets overcome by the reality of people in your districts are hurting and you got to do something about it. The buck stops with these lawmakers. And as far as influential uh, constituencies go, I mean, you don't want to mess with librarians. I mean, look, I will say, uh, you know, a lot of people have been impacted by the state government, but as the librarians who email me first, there's some pretty sternly worded emails saying I better cover their issue. And, you know, sometimes it is the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I wasn't kidding. I know librarians make things happen. So so this is interesting. So, um uh, and then how about just uh, on the, the nuts and bolts side of getting this done? Are they looking at any kind of rules, changes or instructions or, or the co- what, is there some nuts and bolts stuff in this as well? Um, not so far. I mean, the House did adopt new rules at the beginning of this session, but so far they haven't seemed to amount to much. I mean, a lot of the changes that we've seen in our, our House, it's a 203-member body of Republicans for a while. Democrats flipped it pretty unexpectedly in 2022. But a lot of the changes have mostly been um, due to, I would say, just the goodwill of the Democrats who run it. I'm not saying that because I think the Democrats who run it are doing everything great. I'm just saying it's a clear choice on their part after being minority for so long that they're like, we're going to run some Republican bills. But if you talk to the Republicans who are in the minority, they'll say, like, it's not been a bipartisan process. It's more of they're giving us some bills that they're running of ours, but, like, they're not asking us if, like, we have input on them. They're not asking if we want to change them. They're not trying to change their the Democrats' priority bills because of Republicans' concerns. Even with that one-vote majority, it's still a change that's being run in a fairly 
um, dare I say, authoritarian way. I don't know if that's the right word, but I just say, you know, the majority, the, the phrase that's thrown around a lot is the minority gets their say, but the majority has their way. And that was the case under Republicans, and that's still the case under Democrats, despite any rules changes and tinkering that has happened. Okay, so you're there in Harrisburg, and these lawmakers there in Harrisburg, what do you think is going to happen in the next few days as we count down to Friday, and what are you watching? Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny. We, you know, our budget deadline is June 30th, and I've done six of these so far. And usually the week leading up to a budget deadline is chaos. Uh, bills are flying between chambers. Deals are being cut without, uh, usually behind closed doors. You're just trying to track it from the outside to be like, I think this goes with this and this goes with that. It's, a, you know, like lots of trades being done. And that's what this week feels like. Um, so that's what I'm watching for. It's not just, you know, what do the code bills look like? What are some other little things that are passing? Uh, you know, there's efforts to, you know, pass a special prosecutor is going to go after crime in Philadelphia's uh, public transit system. There's bills to expand um, solar panels on schools. There are bills to expand penalties for littering and, and you know, reform a probation system and all these little things that kind of build up that haven't been getting passed because our legislature has been split and, and relatively dysfunctional. But, you know, once you have a budget deal going, it's like everybody's talking to each other already. You can kind of get more stuff done. And I think that's the hope in the Capitol is like it's been painful for the first year or so of this. But if they can come through this week and pass with the pass, maybe some other things, then you're setting yourself up for a productive 2024 because, you know, uh, bipartisanship and compromise are a muscle. If you don't use it that much, is not that strong, but the more you flex it, the bigger it'll get, and the better you can, the more you can do with it. Okay, so that that might be the answer to to the last question I want to ask on the story, which is, don't want to get too far past Friday, but what does this mean for the budgeting process next year? I mean, there you just gave an example of how if they come through this, it might actually uh, help them get more done in general. But having uh, this much of a delay, a half year delay on this past budget, what's it going to mean when you know next June comes around? Yeah, I mean, you know, I imagine everybody's going to have this in the back of their head of how to play nice with each other. Um, you know, the, our governor is going to give his budget address uh, not even in, in two months. He gives it in February, the first Tuesday of February. So, you know, that will be he, – he'll give that. He'll add those priorities. Uh, there'll be budget hearings. They'll start talking to each other. We'll see what happens when it comes up to June. Um, you know, I, I, I'm – I am an optimist at heart. I kind of feel like I have to be as someone who covers uh, democratic self-governance. Seems like a good trait. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm looking for it. The governor, our governor has already said, Governor Josh Shapiro has already said he wants to look at higher education. I'd also say from historically, I've run some of these numbers before, more bills kind of get passed in election years. I think that's just the pressure of everybody realizing that in a couple months, they're going to have to go before voters and convince them why I deserve another term, why you should send me back to Harrisburg, make that salary represent you. Um and that, I think, kind of just clicks something in people's heads. They're like, all right, I guess we got to do something. So, uh, you know, people want to have something good to put on their mailers, or at least not have bad things shouted at them on mailers attacking them. So, you know, we'll see. There's a lot of there's a lot of big issues that have been discussed in Harrisburg, criminal justice reform, minimum wage increases, um, LGBTQ non-discrimination. This is all Pennsylvania, you know, uh, not New York. But um, and, and I think... The, the the hope and, and, and what people are looking for is like, you know, can they actually get some of these big heavy lifts done? Oh, and education funding. I just forgot one of the biggest ones. But so all this is stuff that people are looking to our lawmakers to solve and maybe not, you know, a complete solution, maybe not a solution everyone's happy with, but a solution. And that's that's what I'll be looking for in 2024. And I'm sure a lot of lawmakers want to have that under their belts when they go to the voters again in November. 
Okay, and you know, you just mentioned how Josh Shapiro's doing. We're looking ahead to 2024. You actually um, co-wrote an article that went up today on Spotlight PA. Uh, it's called uh, "Governor Josh Shapiro Rebuilt a Bridge: Weathered a Messy Budget and Walked a Fine and Walked Fine Partisan Lines in 2023." Uh, can you can you kind of sum up what you saw in what Governor Shapiro the year that he had? Yeah, you know, he's uh, he's an ambitious guy. He became our governor after a very pr- a pretty easy re-elect or not re-elect, a pretty easy election um win, uh, a landslide about 15 points if I'm not mistaken. And you know, looking at his year, it's been it's been uneven. I mean, the legislature as we've been talking about hasn't gotten too much done. Uh the governor ran on I can get stuff done, I can build coalitions. That hasn't really been the case. He's weathered a few scandals. Um, one of his top aides had to uh, ended up stepping down um, a few weeks after he, they, the, the administration settled a sexual harassment lawsuit against him. He also had to respond to um, a bunch of crises. I mean, most famously, the I-95 uh, bridge collapse in northeast Philly. I mean, that's something that thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of commuters take every week. Um, you know, he got that fixed real quick. Uh, and, and so, like, looking at it all, like, there's still some accomplishments he can point to. Pennsylvania expanded a program for um, as a, a tax rebate for seniors who are trying to, you know, not have that big property tax bill to stay in their homes. Um, Pennsylvania also made it easier for women to access breast cancer screening and men, I should say. So, like, there's a handful of accomplishments and meaningful ones, but there's a lot of work to be done, as I was saying with the legislature. There's a lot of things that he ran on that haven't been accomplished, and he does have a hard uh, uh, row to hoe with, with a split legislature, 100%, but, you know, there's also these other issues that I mentioned, like, you know, some of the epic stuff that Spotlight's been keeping an eye on, some transparency issues we'd be keeping an eye on. So, you know, it, it's been a it's been a year for him. I mean, I think there's a lot that he can talk up. I think there's a lot that he's not going to talk up, and you know, that's that's why uh, that's why it's important to just you know keep watching your local officials because the one thing they will know is like you know I can write an annoying article about them, but you know they're going to care most when they start hearing it from their constituents. Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking to Spotlight PA Capitol reporter Stephen Caruso. His article, A Leaky Roof, is about to close the PA House for months. Can the legislature finish a budget first? You can read that article on our website, wjffradio.org. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us tonight to go over all this. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out what happened to the holiday cannabis market in Kingston. Stay with us. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hi, I'm Callison Stratton, host of Liberation Station, a show highlighting the best of female and femme presenting performers. Saturday nights at 7, only on Radio Catskill. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting local public radio. From all of us at Radio Catskill, we wish you a safe and festive holiday season and a happy new year. This is Kusar Grace KG, right here in the place to be, WJFF Radio Catskill Music Emporium, Tuesday night, 7 to 9. Two hours of great music, jazz, funk, blues. I got mellow grooves that help you unwind, exciting rhythms that help you cut loose. Join me Tuesday night for the Music Emporium, 7 to 9, right here on Radio Catskill. 
Listen local. Support comes from the Women's Health Center in Holmesdale, Hamlin, Waymart, Carbondale, and Lords Valley in Pennsylvania. Physicians and certified midwives who deliver. The Women's Health Center is a Wayne Memorial Community Health Center. WMH.org. NACL Theater Highland Lake. Innovative performance and community action. NACL.org. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. Welcome back to the local edition. I'm Jason Dole. On this weekend, there was going to be a holiday market and fundraiser supporting local cannabis farmers in Kingston, New York. It was called Local Smoke, and it's not going to be happening now, but we're still going to talk to one of the organizers to learn more about this event, but also to find out uh, what happened to it. And it was a collaboration between Kingston, Chronogram Media, and New York Small Pharma. So let's hear more from Nicole Ritchie, Ricky, uh, uh, president and treasurer of New York Small Pharma. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. It's uh, Nicole Ricci. Ricci. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and so, I, and I should also point out to listeners that Small Pharma is spelled with an F, so that's F A R M A. Can you give us a brief overview of what Small Pharma is and how it came to be? Sure. Well, New York Small Pharma was founded by a group of activists in New York uh, several years before legalization happened, and they were uh, fighting for legalization, for social justice um, and redress to those communities most impacted by the racist uh, implementation of the drug war, as well as ensuring that we have the right to have home grow, the right to grow outside, and that this new industry consider the environment so that we don't have all the same missteps of our past industries, which are extractive and take away from the environment and cause environmental degradation, cannabis has the potential to regenerate and rejuvenate uh, the soil and the environment, including the climate. So we push for regenerative cultivation of cannabis and raising awareness about that. So can you tell us, like, what, what was this event going to be and now why is it not happening? Sure. Well, the event was going to highlight... Um, social and economic equity uh, participants in the cannabis industry. Most of the farmers are economic equity uh, licensees because they are struggling small farmers. These are all sun-grown farmers that use the sun to grow their cannabis, some in greenhouses, some actually outside. And it was to highlight the local farms from the New York. There's so many outside brands that have moved in already to New York that are on the shelves. This was just local cultivators owned by local New Yorkers um, and brands created by them. So it was all local, local only, only sun grown. And it was to celebrate this, um, the, you know, New York's entry into cannabis, into legal cannabis, and to raise awareness about the differences in social economic equity within the cannabis industry, the differences between what is considered local and what is considered out of state. And the fact that we have so many registered organizations, these big corporate cannabis uh, companies that are now coming in thanks to OCM, Office of Cannabis Management, that has allowed them in like three years early. So it's sort of to raise awareness on all that, raise money for the farmers, and to celebrate New York's uh, local sun-grown, which many, a lot of it is, is really spectacular. So what, what happened? Why isn't the event happening now? 
So we, you know, the Cannabis Growers Showcase are, uh, was instituted by the state as a way to allow small farmers to sell their products directly to the customer because the rollout of the, of the industry was so slow. They only have 23 dispensaries open. It's been mired in all kinds of problems and litigation. So these showcases were a way to allow farmers to move products. And um, because it can be expensive to rent a place and to advertise, the state allowed them to attach themselves to ongoing events. So they could be part of the state fair. They could be part of music festivals that were taking place. They could be part of Canastock that took place in the Hudson River Valley. And then the Cannabis Grower Showcase could take place within those. Most of those events had alcohol. And even though alcohol is not allowed in a Cannabis Grower Showcase, the state blessed the ability for the Cannabis Grower Showcase to be within an event that served alcohol because the Grower Showcase itself was separate from those alcohol sales. Our event was only cannabis, no alcohol. We, didn't, we don't have any alcohol. We were only um, providing free cannabis and, um, and, um, and allowing for consumption of cannabis outdoors in legally designated area. You're allowed to give away cannabis up to the legal possession amount to anyone 21 years or older, and you're allowed to smoke cannabis um, outdoors in most areas where you're allowed to smoke cigarettes except for your car. You can't smoke cannabis in your car. But Office of Cannabis Management and the Hochul administration um, were very upset that we were openly um, stating that one can smoke cannabis in the state of New York and that we were willing to give cannabis, that we were willing to have an open dab bar. You have open holiday booze bars all throughout the holiday season at weddings. People are very uh, known for open bars. But when it comes to consumption, the Hochul administration and the Office of Cannabis Management are so set against it that they termed it as illegal, even though it's not legal. Uh, I mean, even though it's not illegal, excuse me, it's perfectly legal to smoke cannabis in the state of New York. I think we all know that, but they, they declared it illegal and they denied 18 farmers, some of whom this would have been their first chance to sell this year's cannabis, 2023, and some of them the first time that they were even attending a cannabis showcase. And the showcases are closing on the 31st. So there's, this was not only their first, but often their last time to do it, and they've denied them all. You know, these farmers are just trying to make money to make payroll for December, to buy gifts for their family. They're hardworking New Yorkers that, you know, work the land, and OCM turned their back on them entirely and turned their back on all of the patrons that wanted to come and meet them and enjoy this uh, event, and they turned their back on our organization which literally volunteers for the state, helping them process licenses for social and economic equity for free. We've donated over $30,000 worth of employee hours to, the, to Governor Hochul's administration to help um, the governor process social and economic equity applicant licenses. And they turned their back on all of us and, and uh, refused to permit the event. Did they did they give an actual legal reason? You say that they said it was illegal. Did they cite any of the current regulations or anything in this? No, they're not that sophisticated. They just stated that consuming cannabis and giving cannabis away was not legal in the state of New York is what it says on the document uh, that we received um, and that the, they, they termed those activities as illegal, um, both in cannabis law and in the regulations, um, which, of course, is is inaccurate. Um, I know that they're understaffed, but they they're also maybe somewhat unfamiliar with the law. 
Yeah. And how is the Office of Cannabis Management doing in, in your view and the view of the, the growers that you work with? Well, I imagine that their job is quite difficult and challenging, but I have to say, you know, we have found um, how they're doing to be uh, less than less than acceptable. Uh, we asked them to review. We had two farmers write a letter. We wrote a letter. We asked them to review the denial, um, and they refused to even look at the letter. We reached out directly to the Hochul administration. They refused to look at They didn't even respond to us. So that type of, I think, uh, comportment it's it's frowned upon by by definitely my organization i think the farmers are appreciative that the uh, ocm you know i don't want to speak for the farmers but i do believe that they're appreciative that they've allowed for these cannabis growers showcase i can only imagine most of them are disappointed to be turned away and disappointed that those grower showcases are sunsetting so um you know i don't want to speak for the farmers but I, i imagine it's very difficult to to work so hard and to grow a crop and do everything legally by the book and then be shut down by the administration that is supposed to be supporting you and you know rewarding you for following the rules instead it seems as if if you follow the rules in new york you're going to get your you're going to fall short it's better to not follow the rules is the message that they seem to be putting out there yeah, I mean, part of the backstory of this is that uh, there there wasn't enough uh, dispensaries opening to meet the to sell essentially the product that these farmers have been growing, and it is a perishable product uh, uh, in in many of its forms. I mean, that's that's part. It sounds like that that hang up is part of what your event was trying to address. Yes. We were actually celebrating the 2023 harvest, so all of the items that would have been for sale at our event would have been fresh off of the, the curing process. So the cannabis is harvested, it's dried, and then it's cured. And then everyone has their own uh, personal preference on how long they like to cure cannabis or how long they like their cannabis to be cured before they smoke it. Um, and then it, it goes to a testing. And so the product at our event would have been all the 2023 harvest, the celebration of that. But yes, um, there is a shelf life to these products. Uh, depending on how well you cure your cannabis um, or if you flash freeze it, it, it can last longer than others. But absolutely, like any living um, thing on this planet, there's a shelf life to it. All right, Nicole, we're going to have to say goodbye now. Would you be willing to stay on the phone and talk a little bit more off air uh, 